You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. If you have a Bible, turn it to the book of Acts. I want to speak tonight about a church that reminds me of North Valley Baptist Church. I love this church. I haven't been here for a long time. And when you get back and been gone that long, and then you see it and you experience it. It's, it's an incredible ministry, and, and God's in it. And, and there was a church in the Bible that was very much like this. They just had a great spirit. That was the church at Antioch. I love that church. I love to study about it. I like to preach about it. I like to think about it. And uh, because there was so much that was good about it, I want to preach about the church with a vision for his mission. The church with a vision for his mission. The book of Acts, we reach about a church that had a vision to send out missionaries. The first church that did. And there was a reason why God chose this church. I think we'll find it evident as we read a few verses here in the book of Acts. You may go ahead and turn to verse, uh, chapter number 11 in the beginning. The church at Antioch, was blessed of God, I believe, because of two reasons. Number one, uh, because they had the right men who they sent out as missionaries. And number two, because they had the right attitude about uh, serving God. Um, you know, when you, we read about this church, we find that, that this church wanted to do things the way God wanted them to do it. Uh, God... God is not going to adjust to how we want to do things. Sometimes we make our plans, our ideas, and they're ours, and then we go to God and say, God, you get prove this and get in on it, and we beg him and push him and push him. And, but he's looking, hey, wait, wait a minute, what about me? Do I get a vote in this? You know, and, but the church at Antioch was, was different. They really wanted God to do stuff and, and let, him, let him lead them. And God chose them to have the privilege of sending out these first two missionaries. And uh, they had the right attitude and... and um, God is not going to fit into the way we want to do things. We fit in the way he wants to do things. Now, in chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, let's read the beginning of this wonderful church. The Bible says in verse 19, Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, this, I believe Antioch was the model church. I believe Jerusalem was a great revival church, you might call it, but it was a transitional church. They were reaching only the Jews, basically. And so they were not, they did not, reach the Gentiles, you know, but a few years later, the Bible says here that there were some uh, Jewish Christians from Cyprus that came to the conclusion that God loved the Gentiles also. I don't know how they could have missed it because in Mark 16, 15, the Lord told the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that would include the Gentiles. It would be hard to miss. The founding was it came, it came during a time of persecution. A lot of good things come out of persecution. Amen. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> But God does a lot of good things in persecution. And the ones uh, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says they were scattered abroad except for the apostles. So all the members went out and started these churches and preached the gospel. And the apostles stayed there in Jerusalem. And so some of them came 
to Antioch. Now, Antioch was a big city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Its population was, was about a half a million people and only larger than, uh, uh, only smaller than uh, Alexandria there in Egypt and Rome in that uh, Roman Empire. It was a beautiful city. It was, a, it was a city much larger than Jerusalem, by the way. Jerusalem was maybe 150, 200,000 people, perhaps. But it was built about 300 years before Christ. And the Roman Empire, notice how beautiful it was, so they made it the capital of the province of Syria. And so this city, which was surrounded by beautiful mountains, and it snowed off, and there is high enough, uh, the elevation that snowed, and, and a lot of people wanted to live in that city because it was a nice city to live in. It was what we would call, and you would understand very well here in the San Francisco area, it was a cosmopolitan city. A lot of different people, nationalities were there and, and were accepted, and, and it was kind of an open-minded uh, type of people, and, and it was a progressive city in work and in business, but it was also a very wicked city. And uh, the Bible says where sin abounds, and grace even abounds more. And so it, its leaders, uh, they had some wonderful leaders in this church. And now the first, we, we see Saul and Barnabas, who were the two missionaries that were called to go out and be the missionaries, but they were part of these leaders. And then there were three others mentioned in the book of uh, Acts, chapter 13 and verse 1. So let's go over to ch chapter 13 and read that verse. The Bible says, in, And there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, these other three leaders besides Barnabas and Saul, one was Simeon, who was, um, he was a Jew, and he lived, he was from Africa, the, the heart of Africa, the lower part. He was a black man, and he was one of the leaders in that church. And then there was Lucius of Cyrene, who was also a Jew. Uh, he was from North Africa. If you look up the Bible geography and then look at the map today, that would be in Libya, okay? So he was, he was in North Africa. Uh, Simon was from South Africa. Both were Jews. Of course, Barnabas and Paul were Jews, but they were from a different place. See, they were like immigrants, let's say, into a Gentile city, not a Jewish city. And so then Lucius and Simon was also joined by Manian. Now, Manian was an interesting character. He was the only Gentile on this, of these five leaders. And he was a very unusual convert because he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. You know who he was. He was the one that killed John the Baptist. And the Bible doesn't specifically say what his relationship was, but he, he might have been a companion or a colleague or a friend or a relative, but he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. He knew him. And so uh, he was somebody in society, but he gave it all up for Jesus. He had a, he had a good life probably financially and position-wise and had things made, but you know what? He found something greater. And he maybe was persecuted for that, or was, you know, maybe he lost a lot from that. But we thank God for Mannion, and, and um, he probably, possibly had heard John the Baptist preach in prison, maybe. And, and, but, and, and of course, he knew Herod and understood him. And, and, you know, I would love to have been a church member at the church of Antioch, because if you went to hear in the church service and Mannion was preaching, you got some good stories. <laughs> you got some really good stories about King Herod that nobody, the Bible didn't even tell us about. But, but, uh, but that was a good, that was a, that was a very interesting group of people, how diverse they were. 
And with the exception of many, and all were foreigners, or, and four of them were Jews working in a Gentile area, and one was a Gentile, and Manian, and they were so different in their background. But I, this is what I love about the church of Antioch. They did not care about other people, their background, their personalities, their, uh, uh, their nationality, things like that. All they cared about was one thing, getting people saved. They all, had a, they all had the same priority, and that is to reach people with the gospel. No wonder God chose that church. He chose them because they had the right spirit. And you know, that's, that's like your church. You may not know that, but your church has a lot of diversity, and it also has a wonderful spirit of love, and, and it's because we have a common purpose, right? We want to see people saved. And so uh, uh, this great vision to get the gospel out now in other countries around the world was just a natural result of this church being what it was. The Bible says in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 11, verse 26, that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. There's a reason for that. Now, up until, up until Acts chapter 13, the gospel had only been preached in Jerusalem and Judea and uh, Samaria and, and Syria and Antioch and places like that. But God looked down and he saw the rest of the world and he saw millions of people in Asia Minor and in Europe and all across the world. And he didn't just see people. He saw souls. And this church could not see them. But they had the character. I love this about their church. That, you know, if we see something personally, we get affected by it. This church got affected by something because of truth. Because God, they knew that, that if a person had a soul and they lived in a place and never saw them, never understood them, or even about their nation, they were concerned about them. They were willing to sacrifice for them. And your church has done this. Most of you have not gone to all these mission fields, right? But you know those people are lost, so you give, you pray, you love what you do because you love God. And that's what the church of Antioch was like. They had a vision to reach people they didn't even know. And, of course, it's not wrong. We want, you know, missionary, missionaries have a special burden for their country because they see it every day. They have a burden. I'll never forget visiting the country of Haiti. I don't know why God put in my heart to go visit that country. But he did. The visit, that was, I, I went there because I wanted to send a missionary from our church, maybe to that country. I was praying about it. And, and so I went to Haiti, and that is a, that is a, that's a difficult place to live in. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. At that time, the per capita income in Haiti, of Haiti was about 2% of Americans' income. It, so, but much worse than the, than the spiritual, than the economic conditions of that country was the spiritual dark, darkness that exists there. Seventy-five percent of the people were Roman Catholic, and the Catholic Church mixed in their their Catholicism with voodoo, voodooism, and witchcraft, and you you see that everywhere. That the, the the people were not happy there. I mean, they were fearful people. You travel on the roads there, and you see the villages on the side, and you see the. You could always know which house was witch doctors or the voodoo priest's house because above the house they'd have a pole or a bamboo pole or a steel pole and they'd have a colorful flag at the top and that signified that the, that the, that the witch doctor or the voodoo priest lived in that place. And they lived in constant fear. They never, I've never seen anything like it. Hundreds of missionaries in that country, but most of them from denominations that are helping them build hospitals and and helping them teach them how to farm. And not that that's wrong to do that, but that's not really what those people need, most of all. They need Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can take the poorest person on the face of this earth and make them happy in heaven forever. 
And that is what truth is. And what I, what I saw broke my heart just being there. And, and when I got around the missionary, I met their, uh, Brother um, Don Dryden. He'd been there about 15 years, and I'd been in, in the Philippines about 15 years, 14 years. And so we'd been in different countries for about the same amount of time. But when I saw his burden for that country, it just really showed me how, how much he was uh, concerned. And he told me this story when he was uh, just recently, he had gone on a furlough for six months. And the purpose of going on the furlough was not really just to visit the churches and, or to get money or to whatever, take a rest. He was praying for missionaries to come to Haiti. And he just, he was so burdened for that. Every church he went into, he preached about missions. And he preached about, he always had at least one message about Haiti and about surrendering to be a foreign missionary. And, and he had some people surrender, he told me, to, to go to different uh, countries, but not Haiti. And he told me he got to the last church in the state of Florida. And he said, I'll never forget that night. I was so burdened and so just... Uh, frustrated that nobody would go and in the middle of a sermon he said I did something I wasn't planning to do it wasn't in my notes or anything I just took my shoes off and put them up on the pulpit and said when I'm die someday who's going to fill these shoes I've been six months traveling nobody will go to Haiti he said what he said is almost embarrassed but he just felt like that's what God wanted him to do and that night he gave an invitation an invitation started and and the people are good, good church and everything, but nobody came forward. A couple of people came forward, but not to go to Haiti and or to surrender to any country. And he just kept going on and on and on. The pastor let him do the invitation. Finally, it was so long, the pastor kind of said to him, you know, Brother Dryden, we're going to have to stop sometime. And Brother Dryden said, could I have one more verse? He said, sure, go ahead. And so they had one more verse. And during the invitation, a 14-year-old boy sitting toward the front stood up and walked down to the front, sat down and said, I'll go to Haiti. That was his son, Benji Dryden. Benji Dryden, I met him. I met him. He went to Haiti. He's been there for many, many years. And because, but they've seen it. They see the need. And when you see the need, that's why it's good to go on a mission trip. You go to a mission trip, you will see the people, and you will never be the same about that country. Because, because the, but the church at Antioch couldn't see. And so I admire them even more, this church, because they had the right attitude. They had, a, they had a passion to reach people, any type of person, anywhere, anytime, however God wanted them to. Jew, Gentile, European, African, it didn't matter to them. God looked down. He loved that church. And said, verse 2, he said, when he saw a group of Christians at Antioch, he said, ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so these people were praying and fasting and God came, and, and this church had the right attitude, so God gave them a vision. And then God also gave them the right men to go out, Paul and Barnabas. Now, I, when a missionary goes out to, to work, in a, to, as a, when a missionary goes out, it's really important for missionaries before they go out that they have some kind of record of, of uh, success or whatever, of bearing some fruit and working hard to reach people before they go. Because you, you won't change much when you get to the field, and it'll be a lot harder for you. And, but Barnabas and Saul had such a wonderful record. God chose people, maybe the best two men in their church. I don't know, but they were great men. Barnabas, who was he? Barnabas is, actually his name was Joseph. And that word Joseph meant the son of consolation. That means the encourager. 
He was Jack Treber of the church. I mean, the encourager. Have you ever seen him encourage people? If I'm preaching a bad sermon, you are, he'll start helping you. I, I mean, if, you, if you're down, if you're not down, it doesn't matter. He is going to encourage you. Barnabas, was, he's my favorite person in the New Testament except the Lord because he was always encouraging people. And, and you remember when, what happened to Paul? When Paul uh, got saved, nobody would help him. The Jews hated him because he betrayed them. And the Christians were afraid of him, so they weren't going to risk their lives with that. He was a murderer. The Bible says in chapter 11, verse 27, that Barnabas took him in. Barnabas, oh, you know, when Saul went on that first missionary journey, I'm, I'm sure he was glad that Barnabas was going with him because he didn't care if Barnabas was a good preacher or, or could, was very talented, but he did care that someone was going to be there to be up by his side and be his friend and an encourager. Amen. Barnabas was an encourager. Even his name meant that. And... Uh, he sold, he sold his land, as you know, in uh, Acts chapter 4, to help the four Christians in Jerusalem. Took Paul in. He helped in the beginning of the church of, of Antioch in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 22 and 23. Soon after the church was started, the, the, the disciples there sent him to find Paul. He had to go find him, and he found him and brought him to the church at Antioch. Not only that, the Bible says that um, in, in chapter 11, verse 24, it describes him as, quote, a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. By the way, there's only three men in the whole Bible that the Bible calls a good man. He was one of them. And that uh, doesn't mean he was perfect, but he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. I would give him like an A+. Plus. Prepared, right? God was using him. Then look at Saul or Paul. He got saved on the road to Damascus. And then he said uh, later, he went down to Arabia in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. He took a, a trip down to Galatia. And from there, he went to Jerusalem for about 15 days. And the disciples got him and sent him up to Tarsus and, and a place called Cilicia. And so um, the Bible says in Galatians 1, 21, afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Paul, Paul probably spent between 7 to 10 years before he became a missionary in that area. What was he doing in that area? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was preaching the gospel and starting churches. Amen. You remember what happened after the first missionary journey? Where did he go? The Bible says in uh, chapter 15, verse 40 of Acts, and he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. He never went to Cilicia during the, his first missionary journey. What churches were there? The churches that he had started before he had became a missionary. He went back and made sure they were doing okay, see? He strengthened the churches. He was, what he was doing and what I love about your ministry for, our, for your college students, they're getting great ministry experience in bus routes and things like that because that's what Paul, that's what Paul got. He, got. he got experience for his life's work starting those churches as a younger, younger Christian. And um, he was a fruitful, energetic, spirit-filled man and, and before he left on the missionary journey. And, and uh, when they left, I mean, God started using him. The Bible says in um, verse 5, look, uh, the, Lord, the time came when the Lord needed two missionaries, and he said, send out Paul and Barnabas. Look at verse number 5 in uh, chapter uh, 13. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they, also, and they had also John to their minister, John Mark. Three people. And so then he goes from there, and he goes to a place called Antioch, uh, Pisidia, just a little while later, down in a um, couple of verses down. Now, he goes to this, this, uh, this city called Antioch of Pisidia. There were many 
Antiochs in the Roman Empire, maybe seven or eight of them. And this is one of the smaller cities. I don't know the population, but probably around 20,000 people, just from a few, few of the cities that we know their population. It was, this is was a smaller city, but it was a city. One little town or little village, it was a city they went to. And when he got there on the Sabbath day, he went directly to the church, to the synagogue, and uh, preached. They, they said, anybody got anything to say? Well, yep, let, can I say something? He had a long sermon. If you read chapter 13, he gave him, he gave him everything. <laughs> he gave him the works, man. And he gave him the Jews listen, and they, some of them got saved. Quite a few of them got saved. But you know what? Outside the synagogue, all these Gentiles are out there, and they're excited. Wow, the way he's talking, he loves us too. This guy, Jesus, loves us. They're sitting outside waiting. So let's look at verse number um, verse number 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Yeah. Well, the Gentiles said, hey, we can be saved. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that would get saved if we'd send missionaries out. Amen. There's a lot of people waiting. These, these, these Gentiles are just waiting for someone to show they care and look at the next verse. You know, the devil always gets in this. The next verse says, now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious Proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded to continue in the grace of God. Now, that's the good part. They, they leave. He goes out for a week, and he takes these new converts, these Jews, and maybe there's some Gentiles mixed in, and, and he teaches them to continue in the grace of God. What does that mean? He's teaching them how to serve the Lord. And boy, he was a good teacher. <laughs> he had a big day the next Sunday. Look at the, look at the, and, and the next Sabbath, verse 44, and the next Sabbath they came Almost the whole city, hmm? 15,000 people maybe, <laughs> who knows, together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, that's the other Jews that weren't saved, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Boy, they were mad, weren't they? Now let them talk, amen. And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God, they were mad because they were rich in Gentiles too. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. So they didn't like that God liked them. You know, isn't that weird? Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Yeah. You won't listen? Okay, well, these guys are nice. They're human beings. You may not like it, but they are. God loves them. What's wrong with you? The Jews, and some of the Jews were good people, obviously, because some of them followed, and they, they got on fire for God that week. And so, so um, where are we at? Verse number 47. For, the, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light unto the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when, listen, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God, of the yeah. Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and it's even a better part. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. That's a miracle. All the region. They got that city, and then they're going out everywhere. Uh, who went out? Was it well, how many? How many? How many workers did Paul have on that team? Fifty, sixty, hundred from from Antioch. Three. John, Mark, Paul, Barnabas. Who went out? Maybe they did, but you know what? The region's big. They couldn't go to all those places. They spread the gospel to those new converts. Yeah. The only, that's the only people who were there. 
in that whole region. You see how fast the gospel can spread when people are on fire? The Bible says in, in um, verse 50, and the Jews again, here they are. But the, Jews, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. They lost their visa, get out of their, they got kicked out of the country by the immigration, I guess. That's what it was. Ah, so they said, okay, but they shook off their feet, the dust off their feet against them and came to Iconium. And who stayed behind? And the disciples were filled with joy. They didn't care. Hey, this is fun being a Christian. <laughs> and whoever can beat us, expel our leader, we don't care. We're going to be here. We're going to serve you, Jesus. Amen. The Bible says they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Ghost. You know, that church was a great church. They, and this is just their first two, church, two, two places they went to. And I, I kept thinking, going through the sermon about today a little bit, about these poor Gentiles outside that nobody loved. For how long? How many centuries? Somebody finally came, said, I won't, never mind the synagogue, I'll just go out and preach outside. Nothing wrong with that. You know, years ago in England, they people thought it was a sin to speak outside of a church. My favorite preacher that I studied in Bible college was George Whitfield. Oh, if you've never read the story, the life story of George Whitfield, you ought, if you're a preacher, you ought to read the story. You ought to read his diary if you can get a copy of it. It's hard to find those. But George Whitfield was the son of an innkeeper. His dad also owned a, like a bar, and his, he, he died when George was very young. And his mother took care of him, and she was, took care of the bar. She didn't want to, but she, that was her livelihood. She always sent him to church, and she, he would go listen to the sermons of Pastor Cole, and when he would come home, he would get up on the table of that bar and he would preach to the men. They would laugh and he was kind of serious and half serious, I don't know, but he, he developed a, a, he would imitate the pastor yep. and preach. Well, he got old enough and he was, he was just brilliant, had a brilliant mind. He went to Oxford University and there he met John and Charles Wesley, you know, the, the great men of God and great songwriter, Charles Wesley. But he got there and he joined what they called the Holy Club. And there he heard about the new birth, and he got saved. He was young, got saved, was helped and mentored by Charles and John Wesley, and then he, they let him go, man. He went out and started reaching people, and he traveled, he traveled to another country to be a missionary called the United States. 1730, came here to this country, went down to Georgia, started an started a, uh, orphanage for the slave children. And then he went north and started another orphanage. Yeah. And they started preaching. He went to another school up in, uh, in Massachusetts in Boston called Harvard that was a young, newer school and preached. And it was said that every student in that college got saved. Wow. Yeah. And then he went down to, um, to uh, Pennsylvania. He met a man named Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was a scientist and just wasn't saved, but was fascinated with his voice because he could speak. He had a booming voice. He said, I want to measure your voice. Okay. And they got to be friends. You know, Benjamin Franklin started the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, and built a church for George Whitfield right there on the campus. And they took his statue down recently, George Whitfield's statue. They took that down. But, but George Whitfield uh, preached for, uh, for, you know, preached for Benjamin Franklin, and, and Benjamin Franklin figured out how many square feet he said, George Whitfield could hold a crowd of thirty to 40,000 people. 
with his voice. And he had crowds that large later. But anyway, he went back to England, and uh, when he first started preaching, the churches let him preach preach because he's very entertaining. I mean, just a fabulous preacher. He, he, people just were just mesmerized by his preaching. And he just had a gift from God and used it for him. And so he got back to England. The churches wouldn't let him in because he started preaching about the new birth yeah. that he'd experienced. That's right. George Whitfield preached this sermon on you must be born again. He said 3,000 times out of the 18,000 sermons he preached in his life. Someone came and said, why do you preach that so often? He said, because you must be born again. Amen. Go figure that. Not hard to figure out. Because the preachers weren't, most of the clergy were not saved. And the, 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 the England was in terrible shape. The, they had 160 capital crimes in England at that time. And the churches were dead, and they didn't like people coming to church that weren't like them at all. And the poor people, which made up most of the English population, weren't going to church and weren't welcome if they did. George Whitfield saw that. He was a a master at understanding God's plan to reach people. So he went out to the fields and said he would, at first John Wesley said, I think that's wrong. (laughs) Later he changed and he started preaching too outside. But, But George Whitfield was a brave person. He went out and started preaching. One day he's out and he's walking near a coal mine, and he saw these coal men walking out of the, the, the mine late in the afternoon. They're, they're very tired, of course, and they're walking. And, and he, he pitched his voice out, and he said these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And uh, they turned and looked at him. And he said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the coal miners looked up. He walked over, and he started talking to them. Those coal miners had never talked to a preacher. He told them a funny story, and they laughed. They couldn't believe it. Oh, this preacher's funny. He's, not, he's, he's a person, you know. He's real. And, and then he started telling about heaven and hell. And, and he said, hell is as dark as the pit that you came from. It's so dark there, and it's so terrible. And, and then he told about Jesus was a friend of sinners. And the those, those colliers, what they call them, they were very wicked people and because they just, I mean, but they had a heart, and I mean, they, they, had, a, they had a soul, and, and they were reachable. They were willing to repent, and he preached to them, and, and about 200 of them, and, and uh, he said, he, he, he told them about Jesus being a friend of sinners, and he spoke about the cross and the love of God, and, and when he did, he had to brush the tears from his eyes because he just couldn't help it. He said he looked down after preaching a little while and saw a young coal miner over there in tears. You're coming down to both sides of his face. It looked like a little white river out of that black coal face. And, and um, he said, I know, this is the words he said, I believe I was never more acceptable to my master than when I was standing beside those hears in the open fields. They invited him to come back. So would you come and preach to our, our families and our friends? Well, sure. He came the next week and 2,000 people showed up. Two days later, five days later, 5,000 people showed up. You can get his, like I said, the diary. I've got his diary in. Two, two days later, 10,000 people showed up. A few days later, 20,000 people showed up at, at Rose Green Common. May of 1935, I looked at the diary. One day he preached to 80,000 people in May of 
1739. If you, I added up the, the number of people he spoke to in that month without a microphone was over a half a million people in those fields of England. That was his greatest month, I guess. He loved the people of England. I read a story, and I'll close with this. One day, they have pandemics and epidemics in Europe all the time, it seemed like. But they had, they would have, they had a more of an epidemic than a pandemic, but it was terrible, and the people were scared. It was probably cholera. But the people were, and it was contagious, and so the people were, they were just paranoid. And so what they would do during that time in England, that people would stay in their homes. Well, George Whitfield, um, of course, was involved in that and was staying in the home of some relatives and friends. And if a person got the disease and they were in a home, they were just immediately moved out into the streets. They felt like they had to do it. Had no choice, family or not. They, everybody would die, they thought. And so the, they would be sending people out in the streets. And after a while, just George Whitfield couldn't take it anymore. And he started to go out, and they physically tried to keep him from going out. And finally, I'm going out. And he went out and ministered to those people and didn't care. He didn't care what happened to himself. And he lived, of course. Yeah, he was died at about 53 years old. But you know what? God wants to raise up people like George Whitfield, Paul and Barnabas, and this is the church. You're the church. You can do it. Because this church has one heart and one soul. This is the church like the church of Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.